We'll be talking about the impact of gun violence in this podcast. If this is a difficult topic for you, please take care when listening. I'm Heather Martin, and I am executive director of the Rebels Project and a Columbine High School survivor, class of 99. Have you ever had someone tell you, like, what they would have done if a shooter would have come into, oh. <laughs> you know, the school or, or wherever you were at? Because I've had people come in and tell me, like, well, why didn't you do this? Why did you hide under the table? You should have You jumped out the window. Or like, <laughs> Of course like, I should have. You're right. Oh, my God. I would like to tell you about how it sounds to a survivor when they're like, well, I would have done this and I would have tackled the guy and I would have blah, blah, blah. Exactly. And it's like, so first of all, I'm super happy that you would have saved the day and saved all of your friends and all these people. But I didn't. I hid. And I'm super sorry that I wasn't all gung-ho about like whatever yeah. it is. Some people even mean well, like they're like, well, I would have done this trying to engage in the conversation like maybe their hearts are I don't want to say in the right place but they're trying to engage with this story that they have no way of really engaging with no and the only thing that they have are these weird hero fantasies of what they would have done so they're, yeah. they want to like what do you think about this I would have tackled them to the ground and I would have had this but the reality is when you're put in this situation you don't know what the hell you're gonna do like this is this is fight or flight. You are trying to save your freaking life. And in the aftermath, and I, I can't put a timeline on it, but I'll put my timeline was like at least a year. That is what I thought about every effing night. Every night when I tried to go to sleep, I thought about what I could have done, what I should have done, what I didn't do, what I could have done better. So when you're saying that to someone, that's a nightmare for us because I had nightmares about that. What I yeah. should have done, what I could have done. And so when you're like, well, I would have done that. It's like, you know what? I'm super glad that you would have done that, but I didn't. I was a coward. I was a, all these things that we tell ourselves as survivors. Yeah. That we didn't do good enough, that we weren't, we didn't do the right thing, whatever that was. And F that. My name is Amy Over. And this is Confronting Columbine. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. The Rebels Project was founded by four Columbine survivors in 2012 to ensure there would always be someone who would be able to understand and support survivors of mass tragedy and mass trauma. The group got together at Amy's for a fundraiser and talked about what it's like to have a relationship after surviving a mass shooting. 
I'm Michelle Wheeler. I work directly with survivors in the support groups, and I am a Columbine survivor. My name is Missy Mendo, and I am a Columbine High School survivor. I'm Kelly Murphy, and Michelle and I work on the survivor support groups each month, and I am a parent of two students from the STEM School Highlands Ranch shooting, and there was also a domestic shooting in my family, and I'm related to a perpetrator and a victim. Zach Rismiller, Columbine survivor and related to the Rebels Project through I'm Amy's Bitch. <laughs> I'm Haley Steinmuller and I'm from the 91 Las Vegas shooting. My name is Zach Hartaya. I'm a Columbine survivor and one of four co-founders of the Rebels Project. Here we are at our eighth annual Rebels with a Cause fundraiser and, you know, Amy, who basically lifted us up. I mean, we were doing like silent auctions in, you know, somebody's basement. Regardless of what you're trying to do or who you are, as a human being, survivor or not, you're going to drag your own garbage into a relationship. So I just started seeing somebody and <laughs> their thing was they wanted to know where I was from, said Littleton, Colorado. And they were like, but, oh. And this is not here in Colorado then, this is somewhere else. Yeah, this is in yeah. Maryland. They're like, where are you from? Littleton, Colorado. Hey, isn't that where Columbine is? Yeah. Where'd you go to school? Columbine. Were you there? Yeah. Tell me everything about that. This is a first date. <laughs> Fuck off. And it happens constantly. Even if I say that I went to Chatfield, because we did graduate from Chatfield, and that's my excuse every every time. After the shooting, the school was blown up and and sorry, very large I mean, crime scene. So we went to so we went to the other high school in the afternoons. Yeah, I went to Chatfield. That's right by Columbine. You know, I'm comfortable talking about what I went through on a first date. I mean, it's not great. I mean, there's probably not going to be a second date. It bothers me. I don't know, it probably should bother me more than it does. What's funny is I take the opposite tact yeah. because I just spill it all out because I don't want it to come out later. Yeah. I'm like, I went to Columbine and I survived a mass shooting and I'm fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> How long can I not tell them that I went to Columbine? When did you tell Sean? I told Sean, Probably within a couple weeks of us dating, we were in college together both as teachers. So my story, it gets talked about in education classes, like what do we do if? And then I'm just sitting there super awkward, but can I avoid telling someone this? Like, and it turns out for me that I can't avoid it. It's a big part of me. As a newly single person, my last person was not necessarily the most supportive person and was not about supporting mental health. So I feel like my next person, I'm probably going to take that route. I'm going to be standoffish. I'm going to wait as long as I can to say it. Safety is a huge thing that everybody wants to feel in a relationship. So bringing that subject up, I will probably wait as long as I possibly can. I told Curtis right off the bat. Like yeah. I was, I, I verbally diarrhea'd like, blah. Like, here, here is, but Here's did you tell what's him the story. Like your I did. I did act. tell him and he I think felt really sorry for me <laughs> <laughs> and swooped me up and just took care of me. Like I needed that. I didn't have a lot of support from my family 
and I was pushing away Columbine people. If we're literally talking about dating stories, this motherfucker. <laughs> Amy, Amy, talk about Amy. And we're really good friends now. And I love her to death. And I, and I just want to embarrass her at this point. You can embarrass me. <laughs> so I asked her out to homecoming. She had just moved here. And then she stood me up. <laughs> and you don't hold a grudge? No, not at I, all. This there's was a reason why I was on the list. <laughs> 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 to be fair, I was on that list too, but. <laughs> oh, poor Nick Foss, yeah. Oh, poor Nick Foss. I will never forgive myself. No, don't even do that. <laughs> we are such good friends now, and we were after that, and we continue to be good friends. Even that year. You were the better person, the bigger person. <laughs> like, so I, and she's up. like, I totally fucked I, it. But it yeah. gives me great joy as her friend to see her blush a little bit. It's, just, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's fun. So I'm a survivor of the Route 91 Las Vegas shooting. So it's not a school shooting, it was in 2017. It's the largest mass shooting in US history. I feel like I tell people right off the bat. And maybe it's because I'm a new survivor and so I'm used to like social media, like it's all been around and like, you know, there's 22,000 people who have a similar story to mine. And not to mention you're 20 years younger than us, or 15, right? <laughs> not 20. So I was on a dating app and I talked to the guy for like a few messages, not enough to be, never enough to be asking this, but he asked me if I would wear the outfit that I wore during the shooting oh. on a date. <laughs> Holy yeah, shit. So I, I gave him a quick educational lesson why we should not be asking that and why that's creepy. And then I blocked him. Because it is creepy and... <laughs> what is wrong with people? But it brings up that idea of people fetishizing oh, yeah. like this idea. There's details and then there's like creepy details, right? Yeah. Like oh, yeah. there's details that you can sort of like Google and you know anybody yeah. can figure out. And but then I think there's that's like the difference between ours. Like there, there was less of you guys's and mine's like plastered everywhere. And every, you know, there's people in different continents that have Vegas stories. You know, that came to America and got shot at. Like, <laughs> but like, why would that even be a? I'm just gonna assume that this guy was like, this is a turn on for me. That would be a turn oh, yeah. on for me. I have well, a really hard time with trying to date people because I did start dating someone right before the pandemic started, but in a weird way, like even though I really liked him, I was kind of like relieved because for me, it's not just that my kids were in a shooting, it's that I'm related to a shooter. And so that's a whole other story that I don't really, I try to think to myself, like how can I avoid talking about that? It just brings on a whole other level of Vulnerability I don't really, and Vulnerability, <laughs> awkwardness. I think it's like so shocking that people really just have no idea how to process it. Your husband, Amy, and your Dude, husband. Dude, I've had a, my, my husband's had to fight me like a guy. Yeah. Seriously, like I'm crazy. <laughs> I've been married for 18 years and he is literally, like I said, he swooped me up when I was literally at my lowest point of my life and he is stuck by me and it has not been easy for him. It has not been easy to be married to me with my ups and my downs and all my faults that I have just as a normal human being but then you put a mass shooting on top of it. Then I have anxiety and then I have more anxiety. God damn, we are dragging piles and piles. We're dragging a landfill of garbage. And in. it's continuous too. It's absolutely trashed every relationship I've ever been in because eventually I'm too crazy to deal with. I didn't really deal with 
any of this until about 10 years in. And we had already been married for probably five of that. She knew I was a Columbine survivor, but I, we never talked about it. And then 10th anniversary came and I became, I think we have a technical term for it, is puddle of shit. It, I wasn't functional. I could barely exist and had to get help, but I didn't really realize that I had a problem with it. So that really probably ended the marriage. Yeah, she just got kind of sick of, and we all have many breakdowns from time to time to where we need to get checked up on. And I'm lucky to have this awesome support group that I can lean on, but she really just got sick of me leaning on other people besides her. It's hard to lean on somebody when they don't have that same experience. One of the things that I was thinking about is that does this attract you to the wrong kind of person? Because it does for me. You know, the girl who's like, hey, sorry I'm late. I had to pull over my car. I puked and had to catch an Uber over here. I'm like, I'm going to put a baby in you. <laughs> I do relate to what Zach said, though, because I feel like I have trouble connecting with people that haven't been through something traumatic now. And I feel like you kind of look for other broken people because you feel like they're, mm -hmm. they might understand or be more willing to accept you. This episode is brought to you by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Amy, what does this group of people mean to you? Wow. Listening to that episode, it, it just brings joy to my heart. These people are a group of people that I can connect with, share my stories with, share my everything with. And I know they're not going away. They're always there for me. But the complications in their lives, it's, it's so interesting to hear about how it affects every relationship. And then 
I mean, you think about how upsetting that is. And then listening to all of you laugh together. We have a funny sense of humor. (laughs) All of us have like a kind of a dark sense of humor, but we laugh about it. But we're comfortable talking with each other about hard things. As long as we're together, we can talk about hard things and come out of it okay. I was thinking about the woman who's related to both a shooter and a victim. I can't even imagine what that emotional burden is like. I can't either. And I, and, and I didn't know that about Kelly until that night. And that was shocking. And she has just been such a great addition to the Rebels Project. And I love working with her. Just her as a, like a mother. I, I don't know what it's like as a mother having my kids go through a school shooting. So, I mean, I commend Kelly and and everything that she goes through on a daily basis, sending her kids to school. You know, I have fears of a mass shooting happening to my children, but it hasn't actually happened. Kelly has gone through that physically. Her kids were there at the STEM school shooting in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. So this is the last episode in the series. The series has been almost a year in the making. So what has the experience been like for you? I knew you were going to ask me this question (laughs) and you never know how to, to fully prepare for it, but I've been working on this series for a year. It's been so positive. Like, to be honest with you, it's been emotionally draining at times and hard. It's not easy to hear someone tell their story, whether it's Kate Batten, she's in law enforcement, but everyone thinks that law enforcement should just tuck their trauma, you know, inside a box or tuck it away, tuck it under a rug. And Kate Batten's a human being that literally saw the 13 dead bodies, named all of them, numbered all of them, carried those Polaroid pictures around with her every day because she wanted justice to be served for all of those victims. It was really hard to hear stories like that and to try to go to sleep that night and not have the images in my head. But I also had days and moments where my heart was full, where I got to meet with my basketball team and I got to reconnect with those ladies on parenting and good old times. You know, it takes a person of extraordinary strength to go through what you've gone through to 20 years later, try and explore it again. You had no interest in being a media personality, but I think we all learned so much. I think you did a service for a lot of people in doing this. You know, Nancy, it's really hard to put your heart and your soul out into the media because there's going to be criticism. And I'm, I'm scared of that. I'm scared to put my whole story out there for everyone to hear, but I think it's going to help others. You went through a lot of ups and downs with your mom during this process. You were upset with her in the beginning, and then you told us she was sick and that you were resolving a lot of the issues between you two, issues that uh, sort of revolved around the fact that she didn't give you the support you needed at the time. How's your mom doing? And how are things between the two of you? My mom is still battling stage four colorectal cancer. The medication she's on right now is currently, I I have a feeling they're going to pull her off of it and um, they probably will stop treatment. 
So I've kind of found that out today. I'm so sorry. So they don't want her taking her chemo medicine that she's she's been on. But my mom and I are in a really good space right now. We're really close. We talk every single day. I just talked to her this morning and she knows that I needed more support. And that's something that she regrets, but her and I have had good talks about it. And I feel like we're in a really good space. I feel like our whole family's in a really good space, just taking care of my mom and making sure that she has everything she needs. And uh, my brother's been amazing. He lives in Washington state, so he's able to go see her more than me. I'm going out there next month. Well, I'm sorry to hear all of this, but I am glad that you guys are in a good place. Well, we're going to listen to some of your favorite clips. I feel like I've come full circle. Every day is a great day when you're not worrying about your appliances and home systems. And that's what you get with an American Home Shield warranty. With American Home Shield, you can protect your home and wallet from unexpected breakdowns like leaky faucets or faulty water heaters or wonky thermostats. Now that's something to celebrate. When it comes to protecting your appliances and home systems, don't worry, be warranty. For 20% off plans, go to ahs.com slash Wondery. For more details, see ahs.com slash contracts for coverage details, including limit amounts, fees, limitations, and exclusions. I had the opportunity to correct myths about Columbine with author Dave Cullen. It's really clear why certain myths have staying power and it's because they explain something. And the very first really huge myth, the whole thing about loners and outcasts and jocks and goths and bullied people who were then targeting people and you're at the bottom of the ladder and all these reasons that you might want to seek revenge on jocks who are in power, that's an explanation. Once you have the key to this whole thing, you think you have the key, it happens to be the wrong freaking key, but you've got it. America has that answer. We weren't willing to let go of it. Connie Sanders gave me the gift of getting to know Coach Sanders a little bit better as a man, not just as my coach. He loved to dress up. He loved to dance. He loved Days of Our Lives, his miniature poodle, and rum and cokes. I mean, <laughs> you know, when everybody's like, hero Coach Sanders, it's like, okay. You never think of your coaches or your teachers as like human beings, right. normal people. Like they go to the grocery store and they have families. You didn't know he was going home to watch Days of Our Lives on no, a VHS tape like, and cuddle I with his poodle loved, drinking a rum and coke. He was just, he was real. My teacher, Tom Tonelli, reminded me about who we lost on April 20th. The hardest thing to deal with is that what would have happened with those kids? You know, not just career-wise and all that stuff, but like, what, kind of, what kind of dads would they have been or moms would they have been, you know? And already, what kind of children were they? And their, their parents have just this incredible loss. Zach Rissmiller, my dear friend, became my brother when he told me what happened. All of it. After 15 years of dealing with my own insanity, after... Coming out the other side, 
I still have the mindset of there is never going to be another day in my life that I will ever do something that I'm not happy with. Every day has to be filled with what I'm happy with. That can't happen. It won't happen. No 18-year-old should have to go to 13 funerals in two weeks. I confronted AJ DeAndrea about what happened the day Coach Sanders died. He was so honest and direct. Now you got to make a decision. I had 60 kids that were still alive, and I wasn't going to leave them. I was going to get them out. And once that was taken care of, then I was going to push forward and, and see what else we could find. During that time, another part of the team eventually got to where Dave Sanders was. And so they dealt with him the best that they could. And I know it was traumatic for them. You know, you ask yourself, did I do the right thing? I don't know. I'll be judged somewhere down the road by it. Uh, you ask the parents of the 60, pretty much they say, thank you, AJ, you did the right thing. Yeah. Sean Graves became a lifelong friend. We never knew each other before now, but we are bound together forever by that day in history. We all shared in that, that battlefield that we're all suffering from. I actually started to realize that I got it pretty easy as far as the mental side of things because my interaction that day with those two was pretty cut and dry. They attempted to kill me, they didn't. When I first went back to the building, when I was paralyzed from the waist down, in fact, the FBI, they asked me straight up, why did I go back to Columbine? And the truth is, is there was no way I was not gonna go back to that school. FBI profiler, Mary Ellen O'Toole, explained why the Columbine killers have been studied for the last two decades. What I saw with this case demonstrated to me predatory behavior. And predatory behavior means you're hunting human beings. And that's what it looked like when I saw the video of all of you in the cafeteria. Um, that looked to me to be predatory. And when you're talking about hunting other human beings, that catapults you into a totally different category of offender. Our principal, Frank DeAngelis, shared why he was compelled to stand by us all these years. Father Ken Leone called me and he said, Frank, you need to come down to the church. And it was like something descended upon him. And he whispered something. He said, Frank, God's got a plan for you. Now you need to go rebuild that community. And then he quoted, in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And he said, God's going to allow you to finish. Your community needs you right now. And don't ever give up hope. I found out from my basketball teammate that I'm not the only mom consumed with fear, especially when I hear about active shooter drills. Amy and I have kids the same age, and they've been in the same class since first grade. And it's hard to hear her talk about what she does, you know, that she's supposed to run, if she's in the hallway, run to the bathroom and put your feet up on the toilet and make sure nobody knows that you're in there and you have to be super quiet and you're not allowed to say anything. I mean, that's terrible, right? Um, but to her, she says it just so yeah. matter-of-factly, yeah. which I what guess is like, Good thing, right, where she feels prepared if the situation does happen, but for me it just feels really gross that she has to even think about that. Parkland teacher Kim Krawcheck exposed how trauma impacts high school kids in a way I couldn't. Listen, their grandma didn't die in hospice, you idiots. They were in a mass shooting. Those are two different things. Not only are their friends gone, but their safety was compromised. And the way that 
trauma overwrites the brain, you're going to think differently and you're going to process a little bit slower. Dr. Peter Langman revealed some hard facts about the psychology of school shooters. I think a lot of the perpetrators are struggling with their masculinity and their solution to feel like they're an alpha male is to get a gun and kill people. That's the ultimate sense of power, the power of life and death. So I think a lot of attacks, not just school shootings, but other mass attacks, involve these dynamics of trying to enhance the sense of self, to become the ultimate male, to have the ultimate power, to become famous. Columbine basketball coach Rudy Martin helped me celebrate a friend. It's been hard to talk about. It was after a huge game against Westminster. The article says Rebels win a Barnes burner. Columbine gets 33 points from Greg Barnes over Westy. And here's the first couple paragraphs. Chicks dig Greg Barnes. <laughs> and why not? The kid has a nice arsenal of basketball skill that includes huge ups, good defense, and a shot that rips nylon from all angles and ranges. After the Columbine's spectacular victory over Westminster last Thursday, Barnes, who roasted Westy for 33 points, found a crowd of media eager for his thoughts and one spectator that wanted his phone number. While an autograph and a kiss on the cheek may be rare after a high school match, it must be stressed that this was not your standard prep game and that girl was from Westminster. Gave him her phone number. Kate Batten answered the question that has burned in me for years. Was I on a hit list? What was your last name then? Evans. Evans. Yeah, you're on that list. Fuck. I'm looking at the list. That is, um, wow. That is, uh... That's just surreal. Zach Cartaya made me laugh and cry, but perfectly explained what being a survivor is. This is a marathon, not a race, and my marathon is never going to be over. A marathon makes you exhausted. It's pointless. You tend to shit your pants at the end, (laughs) and you were signed up by your stupidest friend, and for some reason your nipples hurt but that doesn't mean you can stop running it. You can't ever get yourself to a point where you think you're beyond what happened because you're never beyond what happened. Amy, what's your primary focus now? My primary focus now is my work with the Rebels Project. Uh, Unfortunately, our services will be needed forever. We have to prepare for this. I mean, look at what happened in Boulder. At 14.30 hours, the Boulder Police Department began receiving phone calls of shots fired in the area and a phone call about a possible person with a patrol rifle. We know of 10 fatalities, including one of our Boulder PD officers. My heart goes out to the victims of this incident 
and I'm grateful for the police officers that responded, and I am so sorry about the loss of Officer Tally. We have one suspect in custody. I want to reassure the community that they are safe and that we will try to do our best over the next few hours to identify the victims. This is not the first mass shooting that we've had in the state of Colorado. These were people going about their day, doing their food shopping, and their lives were cut abruptly and tragically short. Boulder feels like a bubble, and the bubble bursts. And that's heartbreaking to think that, that people died today. It doesn't feel like there's anywhere safe anymore sometimes. I just nearly got killed for getting a, a soda, you know, and a bag of chips. My first thought was, I wonder how raw that is for Amy and for the survivors of Columbine. Did you feel that in particular because of its proximity to where you were a victim? It was very raw. And it brings back memories, especially watching all the footage uh, on TV and watching the news. I, I couldn't stop watching it. My wheels start spinning where I'm like, okay, we've got a lot of survivors that are going to be in our club that need help, that are going to need services. King Supers is, is Colorado's grocery store. You know, I went to the grocery store and I was on alert. There was a guy that came in. He was walking really fast, but he had a bandana on instead of like a normal mask. My body got like hot and, and my heart started racing and I was looking out for a shooter. But you also said that you went into action mode. And I haven't yet to meet any of the survivors from the Boulder community yet, but they know that the Rebels Project is there for them. So you were a lifeline no matter what their experience was or what stage of emotional turmoil they're in. Even if mass shootings stop today, there are survivors that need help the rest of their lives. After the funerals are done, after everything's done, that's where the real work happens. When a survivor is ready to connect with another survivor, that's where they come to the Rebels Project and we connect them to services, we connect them to mental health services, and just connect them with other people in our support group. And how do people reach you? You can reach us at therebelsproject.org. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook. You can find me on Facebook. It doesn't matter if they're 10 years out of their shooting or six months. They are welcome anytime that they're ready to start their journey. I'm making peace with my marathon and we're happy to help the Boulder community as they start theirs. Well, Amy, thank you for everything you've given us. Learned a lot from you, and it's been a pleasure working with you. Thank you, Nancy. It's been a pleasure. For more information on The Rebels Project or to donate, please go to therebelsproject.org and see me there. Want to know more about the Confronting Podcast? Please follow us at Confronting Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for photos, additional content, and discussions about the podcast. We are all confronting something, and I look forward to continuing the discussion from our episodes over social media with all of you. If you enjoyed this one, please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, 
Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for going on this journey with me. Confronting Columbine was produced and hosted by me, Amy Over. Executive produced by Nancy Glass, Andrea Gunning, Ben Fetterman, and Carrie Hartman. Produced by Julie Clark. Associate producer, Trey Morgan. Editing by senior audio editor, Matt Delvecchio. Editor, Drew Wallace and Dean Welsh. With production assistance from Megan Paisley and Brianna Fars. Other members of the production team include Kristen Melcuri, Pete Ward, and Natalie Thomas. Music and original composition by Mide Music. Confronting Columbine was produced by Glass Entertainment Group, Glass Podcast in partnership with Wondery. Hey everybody, I'm James. I'm Jimmy. You definitely want to hear us on Small Town Murder, our crazy podcast about murder in small towns, pretty yeah. aptly named. And what do you think of when you think of a small town? Oh, um, terrifying, terrifying murder. Exactly. Yeah. See, you know. <laughs> and that's what we have for you. Chock full of it every week. We have two episodes a week, one regular on Thursdays and one express little shorter episode on Fridays where you're going to hear the craziest stories from small towns. We'll talk a little bit about the town to give you a setting yep. and then we'll get into some of the wildest, craziest murders you've ever heard of. Mixing in some humor here yeah. to cut the darkness. Keep it light. Just a little bit and keep it light. You definitely want to join us there twice a week. You can't beat it. Come and join us. Small Town Murder Podcast. Subscribe today. Follow Small Town Murder on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Small Town Murder early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.